What's up, guys? Rachel Lindsay here, and I am teaming up with your favorite Ringer podcasters to deliver the Bravo drama and news that you've been craving on Morally Corrupt. It's the show about all things Bravo, from the housewives to summer house and everything in between. We'll be mentioning it all every week. Check it out on Spotify and TheRinger.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Hey, everybody. It's Larry Wilmore, and you're listening to Black on the Air. Thanks for tuning in the podcast. Really appreciate it. Um, I'm kind of on the road this week. I've been uh, in New York uh, promoting the film that I'm in, and... I'm uh, in Santa Barbara right now, California, just for a couple of days, a little R&R, uh, sitting outside right now. It's really nice, very beautiful, painting the picture for you guys. <laughs> and guess what, you guys? I have not watched the news this week, so I'm not doing a weighty weigh-in this week. I'm doing a happy weigh-in, because um, <laughs> I have no opinion on what's going on. Guys, let me tell you something. It is so nice not to watch the news and see what's going on. And, uh, you know, just not have all that crap in your head. But um, but I will be back uh, soon with the weigh-in. I think we're going to have one more show after this, and then I'm going to take a couple weeks off. And then uh, in uh, mid-July or whatever, we'll come back with a slate of guests. But today I have David Frankel, the director, who is the uh, director of the movie that I've been promoting this week, Jerry and Marge Go Large, and it's on Paramount Plus, the streaming network. We, uh, I was in New York uh, promoting it to Jimmy Fallon, if you guys caught it on Monday. It was so much fun. You know, it's so weird. I've never been on The Tonight Show. When I was there, I couldn't believe it, because, as a, you know, when you're a stand-up comic, that was the thing when I was starting out. you got to get on The Tonight Show and that kind of stuff. And all these years, you know, it's funny that that's the show that I've never been on. I've been on Kimmel, Colbert, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, done tons of interview shows, things like that. But uh, it's fascinating that I found it ironic. I'd never been on the actual Tonight Show. Um, got a chance to talk with Jimmy before the show. You know, he was just awesome. We had uh, ended up talking for quite a long time. They had to pull him. Jimmy, it's time to do the show, for Christ's sakes. But uh, it was like, it almost felt like we had a lot to catch up on because we know a lot of the same people, of course, and all that stuff. And um, I'm a fan of Jimmy Fallon's. I know some people knock him a lot, but I'm a fan, man. The guy the guy is an entertainer through and through. And by the way, has a ton of charisma in person as well as on screen. Um, and of course, you know, The Roots is the best band in television um, for that late night format. But uh, Jimmy was great. He was so sweet. And uh, we had a lot of fun. We just, the conversation we had before the show was so entertaining. You know, we talked about a lot of a lot of stuff and really, really laughed. But on the show, it was a lot of fun, too. They pulled out a picture of me on the Facts of Life. And I talked about some of my old stand-up stuff. You know, those things, for those of you that don't know how those shows go, they look like, you know, you're talking in the moment and stuff. But, of course, you do pre-interviews and they have a sense of what they want to talk about. Though the conversation can go in any direction. You know, they're just prepared for it. Um, I didn't know until I got there they were going to put out that picture of me and the Facts of Life from uh, from years ago. But that was fun. And uh, Tuesday, I actually did a photo shoot for uh, New York Magazine. They're doing an uh, interview 
kind of a profile. I mean, that's coming out later this summer. Something to look forward to. It was a Larry Wilmore promo week, guys. A lot of stuff going on for you, boy. Um, and that was fun. Doing a little photo shoot. Hadn't done that since I was really doing my show, you know. Um, and then Wednesday, it was the Tribeca Film Festival. Uh, got to see uh, where they screened uh, Jerry Mark in front of an audience. And man, that was so much fun. I got to finally meet the actual Jerry and March. Now, Jerry and March, the story of that movie, of course, is about the guy who beat the lottery. He didn't cheat it. He beat it. Uh, and he was in Michigan and ended up getting his whole town involved. Like, ended up winning like $27 million, something like that. I played the accountant, Steve Woods, in the movie. And I'll go into more detail when I, you're here in my conversation with David coming up. You know, we'll talk about the movie. But it was great seeing everybody uh, there, some of the actors uh, some couldn't make it, uh, but seeing Brian Cranston and Rain Wilson and uh, hanging out with some of the other people, Brad Copeland, who wrote the script, really did a great job. And I hope you guys do get a chance to see it because it really is a fun movie. It's one of those feel good things. Um, and this evening, um, back in Los Angeles, um, which you can, uh, I'm not sure when they publish it, but I'll be on the Go Fact Yourself podcast with uh, my old pal Helen Hong who I did a pilot with a couple years ago um, and that's going to be fun but I'm also this I know I'm telling you I'm promoting myself this is Larry Promo Week I was on Sean Hayes's uh, podcast called The Hypochondriactor um, I think that's the name of it and I have a link to that in Twitter and everything where I bring up this old this story when I was married and kind of had this em, empathic <laughs> pain reaction to pregnancy. It was a real interesting story. I don't think I've ever told that story publicly, but it was so much fun doing that podcast. And um, um, I could put another link to that on my Twitter feed if you guys are interested. So look, if you're a fan of Larry Wilmore, you guys, there's a lot of stuff going on. A lot going on. Uh, this week and coming up there's more guys there's more i told you i had a lot of stuff to talk about the essence festival is coming up um next weekend or the weekend after coming up soon for those of you going to the essence festival they will be announcing the drama that i've been producing with carrie washington called reasonable doubt uh created by the unbelievable ramla muhammad um whose name you will know soon ramla muhammad um, it's just fire, man. She's so great. So much fun to work with. So hilarious. She's a drama writer, but she's so funny. Really, really funny. Just really smart and just, you know, just a real sensitive, great artist. Um, so reasonable doubt. I'm very proud of you guys and I can't wait for you to see it. Um, so they're going to be uh, promoting that at the Essence Festival. I think that's the big announcement. So I won't say too much about that. I'm giving you guys pre-information. <laughs> And what else? That's a preview of some of the stuff I got coming out. And by the way, guys, this is going to be a fun year because that's just a couple of the things that's going on. There's a lot of stuff coming down the pike that I'll be sharing with you. This is going to be a fun year. Some fun projects that I'm associated with and working on and that kind of stuff. Some involving me as a performer and some just me as a producer. That type of thing. Um, and there you go. That's what's coming up. So, like I said, I haven't been watching the news this week. I assume there's stuff still going on. I assume that January 6th thing that I said is lack of watching an episode of Columbo. I assume that's still going on. I have no idea. Don't really care about those motherfuckers that much. But um, I, don't, I think we have one more pod coming up next week. But I'm not sure. Don't take my word for it. And if we do, I promise you, I will give you a full wrap-up on the day's events and what's going on before I take off for a little break. But until then, please enjoy my conversation with David Franco, uh, the director of Jerry and Marge Goldard, streaming on Paramount Plus. Um, that's it. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? 
you take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. There's a lot of hypocrisy in the PGA Tour. It's like, look, niggas couldn't even play in your tour for so long. You know, how are you going to make this hypocritical, you know? Oh, we can't take money for this. Day. It's indefensible. Absolutely. You know, and they're still playing in China. So what are the Chinese? Oh, exactly. Play? As the NBA is. I mean, all these things as well as their government. Anyhow, whole nother discussion. But I'm going to, I may, I'll probably talk about that on my pod. Maybe I should have Alan on the show. That might be good. I'm amazed. Like, can I just say about podcasts, like, I, I listen to you. I mean, I don't understand how you get up in the morning and you can talk for 20 minutes. I just viewing your thoughts. I, I, I wish I had like 30 seconds worth of that much intelligence to be able to talk thoughtfully no 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 david spewing is the key word what okay. you just said spewing is the key word by the way guys this is nothing but i call this special guest month you know it's <laughs> what we have here really this is going to be such a fun talk i can't wait to talk to this gentleman i had the pleasure of working with him but have been a fan and all of you have been a fan of his work uh director of movies like devil wears prada marley and me everything he makes is just always so good it's just uh Makes you laugh, makes you cry, all of that stuff, you know. But he's coming back with the movie with an incredible cast, you guys. There's an incredible cast of this thing, which we'll talk about. Uh, Jerry and Marge Go Large, uh, which will be streaming on Paramount Plus, um, I think as we speak, as this drops. And the director, David Franco. David, welcome to Black in the Air. Great to be here, Larry. Any time with you is a great time. It's so much fun. You know, I'm joking, but I had so much fun working with you and making this movie. It was just... It was a joy from day one to day to, and it still is. The movie is just out right now. Jerry and Marge go out. Let's start with the movie itself and just tell everybody about the movie. What is it? What are we going to see? And all that kind of stuff. Jerry Marge go is the story of Jerry Marge Selby, who figured out how to win the lottery legally and uh, yeah. use the proceeds to enhance the lives of their friends and the people in their small town up in uh, Michigan. And um, it's a remarkable story. It's really a, and it's a love story. It's about these two people in their 60s who rediscover each other and the romance that is their marriage. And uh, you play, if I may say, the, you, you are the comic center center <laughs> of the movie. You are the comic spine. You, you know, get all the big laughs and uh, you play their accountant who uh, helps them put together the corporation that they use to increase their capital and you benefit handsomely. And uh, along the way, there's even uh, a nice romantic angle for your character. Yeah, and there's, we have, there's Brian Cranston, Annette Bening, Rain Wilson, Mike McKean, such, such a great cast. I mean, Extraordinary cast. And, uh, you know, Anna Camp, Jake McDormand. Anna so, Camp, you know, she's so great. Yeah. Now this, the actual thing happened like in 2003, I think they actually were succeeding at the lottery for uh, a better part of nine years. It was nine years, complete nine years actually. Wow. Yeah, the movie condenses it into about a year, but yeah, uh, yeah. they actually did it for for nine years. And they, yeah, so they started in the early two thousands and, and and went for nine years. Wow, he got away with that for nine years. Wow, yeah, nine years of like every few weeks they 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 lived in Michigan, but they yeah. played this special game that where they were guaranteed to win if they bet enough. Yeah. The only place to play it was in Massachusetts. So they would drive the 10 hours yeah. to Massachusetts. They would spend about four days printing the tickets in a convenience store. And then they would spend another two weeks in a motel. Amazing. With the curtains drawn, going through the tickets wow. and figuring out which were winners and which were losers. Now let's talk about this, this thing itself first. So people know what he did. So he was like, he worked in like a cereal factory or something like that. Yeah. We depict him as working at, uh, at Kellogg's. Yeah. Yeah. But he was like a math whiz, like beautiful mind type of thing. Yeah. You know, he dreamed of going to MIT and yeah. working in science and, that wasn't how he spent his life. Yeah. So, um, but he still had that kind of 
crazy math mind. Yeah. And apparently, you know, in retirement, he was just bored and he just looked at this. I read a thing where he said he figured it out in like three minutes. <laughs> like there was a weakness in it. I'll describe it a little bit. It's called windfall, right? Yes. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, you know, you have to guess the numbers like most lotteries. But if no one wins after a few weeks or something, you don't just get a set amount for guessing three, four or five numbers. You get more because the whole jackpot is like shared. That's exactly how it works. Yeah, it's very complicated. In, in most games, you need six correct numbers to win the jackpot. So in, in this game, if when the pot got over $2 million and no one had won the jackpot, then the prize money rolled down. So you would win jackpot money with five numbers and you would win the five number prize with four numbers and it rolled down like that. So once that happened, once there was a roll down, Jerry figured out that the odds turned in your favor. And if you bet enough, if you know, you had to have a large sample. So you had to, you had to bet a lot of money. But if you did, you were basically guaranteed between a 20 and 30% return on, on your betting. And I guess the idea is that if you don't have to guess all six numbers, it's easier to guess like three, right? Is that the basic idea? Like more people theoretically will guess three out of six than will guess six out of six, right? That makes sense. For sure. And you're your odds of guessing three and four are much higher. And if you buy enough tickets, one of them's going to have, a couple of them are going to have those three of those numbers or four of the numbers, right? And so on the windfall weeks, I just want to make sure everybody's clear on this. You just win more for doing that. And so you cover the losses that you would make from the amount of tickets that you buy. Yeah, you lose less basically and you win more. But you still have to, be putting in a lot of money to really get the benefits of it. But if you're willing to do that, it works out. Right. You got it. We should have recorded you doing telling (laughs) and put it at the end of the movie. It's true, because even when I was making it, I go, so how does this windfall? Like, I was actually listening to him when he was explaining it to me in the diner. And I'm like, I still don't understand this, Jerry. Like, you know. But Jerry, you know, Jerry, the real Jerry Selby can... You know, can explain it in great detail. He's a fascinating guy. So what attracted you to the story? Like, how do you get involved? Because, I mean, this story happened a while ago. So it seems like this story, was the script around for a while? Or was it, I think it was based on a Huffington Post article or something? It was a Huffington Post piece by Jason Fagone. And then um, Brad Copeland, the screenwriter, got a hold of the story and uh, wrote this hilarious screenplay that hooked me from page one. And then uh, my friend Gil Netter sent me the script. He he had produced Marley and me, yeah. and uh, he said, you know, would this interest you? And I, literally from the first page, I was hooked. And it was early in the pandemic. Uh-huh. Yeah. And here was this happy, inspirational story about you know two great characters and two great roles for movie stars to play. And I I, I want to run out and shoot it immediately. You know, yeah. this is like May of 2020, and of course here we are two years later. But fortunately. We're still in a pandemic, so we still need some sort of comic relief. It is interesting how timing, I think, plays a part in so many things and even making decisions. Because it struck me reading it during the pandemic as well. You know, I even said in interviews, you know, I had already lost my brother. You know, it was a real tough time for me. And and I said, look, I want to live in gratitude right now. That was the promise I made to myself last year. And when I read the script, I'm like, this is exactly what I'm talking about. You know, it's about people living with that kind of philosophy and that type of thing, you know, it would seem hard to make a movie out of something like this. Is that right? Don't you think? I probably, when I heard the story the first time I go, how are they going to do that? Just like a bunch of people standing at a lottery machine, like where's the cinema? So, you know, kudos to Brad for figuring out that it was this great character piece and the how of how they did it was dramatic enough that there doesn't need to be a lot of action. There's there's a little bit of conflict down the road. They do have some competitors. For me, it was really a love story. For me, yeah, it was really, it really a story is. of friendship and this romance at the heart of it. These two people finding both adventure and romance mm-hmm. over the age of 60. I tell people I make movies for two people, you know, my wife and my dad. And my wife wants um, stories that make her feel good. And my dad wants stories that make him think a little bit. And um, this kind of hit all the targets. And when you're looking at a script like that, are you saying, okay, I love this because it is a character piece. That's the thing that's speaking to me the most. Is that how you're looking at films these days as opposed to, man, this story, this plot is really interesting. Like, how, how are you feeling your way through that? How do I feel when, it's, when I finished it? That's really, that's, that's the key. Yes, of course, I want to be drawn in. I want to I be turning pages and find out, okay, how did they do it? 
and what what would what happened when they did it. But for me, it's the endings of movies that are so important. I would just want to feel like that ninety minutes or two hours that I spent watching that was worthwhile. I, you know, I literally tell people I, I want to feel you know my heart expand. I want to mm-hmm. I want to feel like it was a love affair. Yeah. That, you know, for those two hours, and that's how I felt reading Brad's script. And then, of course, it made me laugh out loud. I mean, you know, like when you say, you know, with the calculator, that will increase your, you know, you'll make this much. Oh, right. literally the only time I was going to get to use that today. Uh, you know, you have just so many great lines. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. It was so much fun. I, I had a blast doing it. I couldn't believe I was acting in a movie with Brian Cranston and Annette Benning. So for me, I was a kid in a candy shop. But it's kind of weird. I mean, you can talk about it even more than I can. It's, they didn't seem like Brian no, Cranston not at all. and Annette Benning, right? They no. seem like Jerry and Mark. Absolutely. You, you never felt that, oh, we have to get out, get ready. Brian's coming and everybody, you <laughs> yes, know, exactly. getting all nervous. You know, right, this monster. Was, oh, this yeah. guy, Jerry, just, <laughs> you know, ambled onto the set. People kept talking, you know, yeah. he's ready to work. They're so down to earth, you know, and that I think that, mm-hmm. that was the thing. They were so respectful of, of the characters. There's no condescension in the way they played you know, these are big city people playing small town people, and but yeah. there was absolutely no distance. And they themselves had so much chemistry, at, which mm-hmm. you know, together, which we, immediately. Did you guys visit the real Selby's together, or did you do that separately? Yeah, no, we went up together. What was that experience like? It was great, and they were very welcoming. Uh-huh. I was only up there for a day, but Brian and Ned spent three days with them, and you know, many, many meals. You know, Jerry's a bit of a ham; he loves all the attention he's gotten from <laughs> from the story. And uh, he needs to be busy with numbers. I mean, right now he's got some major league baseball betting scheme that he's Hilarious. Been working on here. That's awesome. And, uh, and Marge uh, would be happy if she never saw another human being the rest of her life. I mean, she's very nice, but she's, you know, gets down to business. She needs to be busy. I said, I said to them, would you guys travel? No, I don't need to see more people. Like, yeah. you know, there, there's too many people already in this town of 2000. Right. <laughs> so, you know. Um, but they haven't changed their lives at all. You know, they made, mm-hmm. you know, over all those years, they made millions of dollars. Um, and I think they bought a new truck. That was about it. It didn't distort their existence in any way. Now, as a director, like, what are you looking to get out of a meeting like that? Because I, I would think some people may not want to meet the real people, you know, for whatever. So if you're meeting the real people, what are you hoping to get from that? For me, I mean, it was, a lot of it is just the spirit of the people just to make sure that I'm respecting their, you know, their rhythms and their view of the world. I don't think there's anything that we mm-hmm. took that we said, oh, I learned this. Let's put it in the script. I think it was more uh, just getting a sense of them and making sure that we respected that quality that their earnestness and the, the simplicity of their lives. You know, both both Brian and that really paid very close attention. I don't think they were mimicking mm-hmm. the Selby's, but they, again, wanted to honor the spirit of who they were. And Brian has played famous people where when you're doing a famous person, they're uh, somewhat of an impression that is in the performance of it. I'm saying impression, just to use that term, but you know what I mean? You have to present more of that person as people remember to a certain extent. But when it's someone that they don't know, you all you really have to do is kind of evoke the spirit of it, which I think would be a lot freer for the actor, it would seem. Yeah. And I think, you know, that combined with the fact that Brad, in telling the story, I mean, it is based on Jerry and Marge's story or inspired by, you know, it's right. not a literal sure. depiction of it. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of liberties taken in the storytelling and even in their character biographies. But again, you know, Jerry and Marge watching the movie will mm-hmm. recognize themselves and they'll recognize the dynamic. And then the key to their relationship was that when Jerry, you know, in the, he took the three minutes that it took him to discover the flaw in the lottery. And then eventually, in a, you know, a couple of weeks later, he revealed to Marge that mm-hmm. this is what he was doing, which was contrary, you know, playing the lottery was contrary to all previous behavior. And Marge, just completely embraced the idea. She didn't even need mm-hmm. him to explain it the way we've explained it to each other. You know, she just said, "Oh, if that's if you if you figure it out, I'm in. Let's go." You know, that fact really defined their yeah. connection and and um, and the and the characters, both you know, for Brian and that. It's really one of the best scenes in the movie, I think, too, when she comes on board and her enthusiasm, because it really makes the movie about their relationship, as you say, too. Like, I enjoy watching them dancing in that motel and that sort of thing. I'm like, you know, it's it's fun to sit, 
to get an experience of what the movie really is while you're watching this thing of what's telling us that other thing. You know what I mean? You get a lot of just joy out of that. Joy is the, exactly the right word. And that was you know my reaction to, to Brad's script. You know, that's the real challenge of all our jobs is to make sure that we convey that joy yeah. you know, when we when we do our work. Yes. So process-wise, David, as a director, where do you start with a movie like this? Because you're in the middle of COVID, you know, it's for streaming, you know, it's it's not a Marvel film, you know, so you're not going to have the biggest budget and that sort of thing. Where do, where do, how, where does your process start? Is it just the, the bare bones, just planning of how the hell am I even going to shoot this thing? I mean, first of all, it starts with the cast. I mean, I think that's, you know, yeah. so a lot of the work, Margie Simpkins is a brilliant casting director. Without her, I might not have met you. So I'm grateful for all her insight. So, you know, putting together the cast after that, I mean, that's honestly 90% of it. And then you just need places for the cast to do their work. So, you know, we spent a lot of time Mm -hmm. hunting around Atlanta for the locations and trying to vaguely simulate uh, Michigan in Atlanta. And, you know, it's just finding the right small town because Everett, Michigan is, is a tiny town. And then, yeah, we, you know, we shot the movie in 30 days which Amazing. is um, not a lot of days to, to shoot a movie. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, going back just 15 years, I mean, the schedules of movies in those days were twice as long. Fortunately, I mean, uh, you know, Brian especially has obviously done a lot of television, so he knows he's, you know, incredibly yeah. prepared, works quickly, yeah. um, and not a lot of takes. You know, you have to be cognizant of, of the time and the schedule at every at every turn. You know, we had a great director of photography. I mean, that's the other thing you have to do is put together a team of colleagues. And uh, Marie Salberg yeah. shot the movie beautifully. And we've, made, we've worked together a lot now. Yeah. We did Inventing Anna together. We did Collateral Beauty together. Yeah, she's awesome. She actually shot a, a TV pilot I did in, in the mid-90s that won an Oscar for Best Short. Film. And say and say her name against everybody. Maurice Alberti. Yeah, there you go, you guys. Very talented. Uh, she worked with Denzel two years ago. Um, Ron Howard a couple of years ago. Uh, she just worked yeah. with Tommy Lee Jones a few months ago. So she's um, the same age as Terry Marge and me, and uh, yeah. still out there like working her ass off. It's a it's a real testament, and just you know, it's great to have uh, a woman behind the camera. You know, there's this. this yeah. She has a, a real eye for. Uh, the emotions of the scenes and um, so yeah come to depend on her and also great eye for the cinema and you know beautiful photographic sense yeah i want to talk about those types of collaborations because i agree maurice she was she was so much fun to talk to you know i was just trying to absorb just what was going on and some of that stuff too but there's two types of collaborations well there's more than two but i'll focus on these two there's the director dp collaboration and there's the director star collaboration in this sense, you know, you and Brian, you and Maurice. So let's talk about you and Maurice. How much of a vision do you have for something that is either affected by maybe what she has or is she guiding the vision and you're going, yeah, here's what I want to do. How do you see it? Like, how does that relationship work exactly? You know, there's a real give and take. I'll come in, you know, my my goal is obviously character and story, but also energy yeah. and pacing. And, and, and so I say, here's what I'm trying to accomplish here. You know, and then we're looking for locations. We find mm-hmm. where we're going to shoot it. And she'll make suggestions. on. And very often it's, you know, the opposite of what I imagined how we were going to do it. Interesting. That's so interesting. Yeah. You know, you walk into a house and you go, ah. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't quite see it. Here. How am I going to shoot this thing? Yeah. yeah. And she'll go, no, no, you know, the light over here is great. And when we paint this room and, yeah. and put up different wallpaper and the angles and the doorways, you know, these are the shots we can get in. So yeah, DPs definitely see things in a, in a different way. And uh, it's always valuable. And then, you know, I rely on her, honestly, just to make people look great. That's the other thing. It's just to, to, to just be... Uh, aware especially here it's actors of a certain age you know you want to make sure that the camera still loves them and um, she's um, really attuned to that i always find it's great when you can find economy by having those conversations by really talking it through in that collaboration just magically makes something so much simpler and more beautiful at the same time <laughs> like yes i love when those types of moments happen she's both you know she could be very careful with composing shots but she also mm-hmm. is able to work 
you know, really, oh my God, we got 20 minutes. We got to shoot, you know, four pages. Exactly. We got to do this shit. You know, I love, I love what you just said, but we got to shoot this shit now. <laughs> have you done it? Have you directed? Have you, have you? I've done some TV. My, one of my evil plans, I think, I don't know if I mentioned to you that I have some, a couple of ideas of a couple of things I want to direct that we'll, we could talk about. No, you should. You said, and then you can, you know, that I can interview you. Believe me, part of this interview is picking your brain on some of these things before I jump into it, you know. But uh, I have been behind the camera before, and I love it. Let's talk about you and Brian, because how much was Brian involved in the script? And, like, uh, I know there were rewrites that happened sometimes. Are you having conversations with Brian and Brad at that point? Is it with Brian? And uh, how does that work as you're making the film? I mean, you know, the movie wouldn't get made if, without Brian's passion for playing Jerry. Right. And then from the beginning, he was very open with uh, ideas for for making small things better, going deeper. Yeah. And then over time, as he really got into the character mm-hmm. and as he started playing him, things occurred to him like, oh, this I understand why it was written this way, but I don't think Jerry would say it that way. So then, you know, so we bring up Brad and, you know, fortunately, Brad was really open to, you know, Brian's thoughts and and then brad would find a way to blend in the new ideas and there was one specific big scene that was a, it's a confrontation with the bad guy in the movie and in the scene you know, brian uh, the, the jerry comes in and really lets loose and and uh, gets really angry and uh brian a few days before we shot said i know gee i i don't know that jerry would express all this anger you know i just jerry isn't a guy who's he just doesn't he doesn't go to the extremes of emotion. And if he was angry, he drove all the way to Massachusetts. He would have would have got out of the system before he got here. So I want to play it a little quieter. I want to play it more thoughtfully. For a while, it was a little controversial. You know, that was, wow, are we, are we missing a bet here by not having Jerry lose his temper? And in fact, you know, it turns out that the way that, you know, we the, the scene got uh, remade turns out to be a favorite scene for the audiences you know it's just sort of a moment where it's in a jerry-like fashion he you know expresses his views and um so that you know that was a specific example of a scene that really got reoriented emotionally and um and then of course there were, you know there were a lot of jokes and a lot of moments with you know i'm sure you experienced that well if i say this you say that you know so much of it i think he was inspired just by spending the time with Annette too and like as the movie went on his performance as Jerry loosened up a lot and when he saw the cut he goes should I really say that or should I really look that enthusiastic I went a little too far no no don't worry it is funny because uh by him playing it so kind of insular or whatever like like the scene where he's kicking the book. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Because you see, seeing him explode actually is funny, you know, because he seems so mild man. The moment where he kicks the boat, or there are other moments, you know, where, it, where he's celebrating with a check, or, you know, there's a, there's a, oh, Marge, you know, they get out of the game and they want to get back into the game. And he says, you know, you're batshit crazy. <laughs> and, you know, uh, Brian said, please take that out. Like Jerry would never call Marge batshit crazy. And I go, no, that's hilarious. It's, hilarious. it's great, of course. Like he's, you know, it's 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 nice to see him break out of the shell every once in a while. But it was interesting his commitment to playing a guy in the shell, and that's why those moments are so uh, exciting. Is because you know he he did commit to playing a guy who um, was there were no highs and lows, and then when you get a few highs, it's kind of great. Yeah. Why did you decide to make it current day as opposed to in that time period? It, I guess there's nothing specific about that time period that would make it have to be then, I guess. That was the thing, you know, like I, I felt like there was very little that really, you know, for most people would be like, ah, are those, was that about the iPhone 7 that, or the iPhone 3 <laughs> that they're using? Like, you know, and then. Oh, it's a flip it, phone. So you have to go far enough to make it a flip phone and then you don't have yeah, to worry about no, it. No, and right? then there's the, but the, you know, honestly, there's enormous costs involved to. Suddenly, all the cars have to be period. You don't get any free traffic. You have to think about where people wearing the right clothes, uh, the, the right signs, you know. So there's a, it was more like there's just an enormous cost involved. And and it, it's a lot of times, if it's a period, it distances you a little bit from the story. So... Uh, yeah, there didn't seem to, there didn't seem to be a downside to making a contemporary or, or an upside to making a period. I'll be honest with you, this is kind of a confession. 
as I was making it, I had no idea what year it was. That's because you did your work as an actor. You were completely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't judging the year. I, I was just like, I don't know, yeah. you know, which when I did the thing with the phone, I go, oh, OK, it's an iPhone. So maybe it's this year. <laughs> maybe it's last year. I mean, I don't know. But it didn't, you know, I wasn't thinking about that. You know, If there were a roll down in Massachusetts, it could have happened now. But uh, yeah, there just didn't seem to be a reason to make it good. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. You know, you've done a lot of things that involve real stories, real people, or real events. What's the biggest challenge in doing that type of film as opposed to something completely made up? You know, it's honoring the, the characters. You know, when we did Marley and Me, was the John Grogan had written so all this autobiographical stuff and shared so much mm -hmm. of his life and and we were you know really yeah. trying to capture that. But I remember when we showed the movie to him and his family, and the, the kids or characters in the movie, the kids were not so thrilled. Oh, that's supposed to be me, you know. So anytime you're depicted, and I you know look, I've had that experience. I may have showed Devil Wears Prada to Anna Winter. You know, I thought, wow, we really pulled our punches. And then you show the movie, and you know, you understand that the real person is seeing it, and you go, ah, maybe it's um, pretty hard hitting. I didn't, you know, maybe, maybe there's no punches pulled at all. <laughs> well, the people that worked with her go, mm, I don't know if you went far. <laughs> it, it's always tricky, and and obviously, movies in every instance, you're taking enormous liberties, and time gets compressed, right. and character details get fudged, and uh, you know, these are all based on and you have to have the nerve to sort of move away from the reality and at the same time really um, be respectful of, you know, the spirit of the person. How did you get started in the business, David? What what got you into this? My dad was a journalist and mm. um, my mom was a writer and, and uh, mm. I wanted to be a screenwriter. Mm. You know, I, I took playwriting classes in college. I came out to Hollywood and I wrote screenplays at night and on weekends. And you know, eventually, like everybody's got some crazy mm -hmm. serendipitous story. As, you know, a script got to a girlfriend mm -hmm. who gave it to an agent who gave it to another agent and gave it to a producer. The next thing I know, I had met a man who became my mentor, Norman Steinberg, oh. a, a comedy writer. Oh, Norman Steinberg is a legend. Yeah. And he worked with uh, Mel Brooks yeah. on Blazing Saddles. Absolutely. And he wrote, you know, one of my favorite movies, my favorite year. Um, and so Norman and I... One of my favorites too. Yeah, Richard Benjamin and... Uh. We collaborated for, you know, the better part of a decade. We were, we were writing partners. And... Uh, mm -hmm. Um, wrote movies together uh, and uh, produced uh, several sitcoms together. So um, had a great time together. And I was just, you know, once you write a bunch of movies that don't come out yeah. the way you imagine yeah, them, and yeah, yeah. that inspires you to be a director. And, uh, you know, you just go, wait a minute, I, it, I could do this just as badly as that guy. <laughs> you know, so, and so you, I, I figured out, well, how do I do this? And so I created a TV series um, where I directed all the episodes called uh, Grapevine in um, in the 90s and uh, I, that was my first experience you know behind single camera mm -hmm. i had done some sitcoms and stuff before and it was really a, an effort to have your expression be what you wanted it to be it was kind of a practical yeah. way that you did it that's very interesting yeah i mean you know candidly you know my hero growing up was woody allen yeah. and uh you know there was just this single-minded mm -hmm. one man one vision you know, as it turned out, I mean, I haven't, I've been lucky enough to collaborate with a lot of great writers and I contribute, but I don't, I don't do all the writing, but it, the joy for me is sort of going to the circus every day when you're 
and making a movie. You know, it's, a, yeah. it's honestly, it's a party. If you're making something joyful. Yeah. The act and the experience of making it is, is joyful. And I think you felt that absolutely coming to our set. It's a happy place. It's a happy factory. Yeah. I always make it play. It's work, but I make it feel like play because I, I know how privileged we are to be doing it and all that stuff. And, and it's what I want to do. You know, it's like we should be having fun doing this. Even when, in the, its most difficult times, there should be a joy that's in it. And I think if there is, it'll come through, you know, through that screen, I believe. You know, the, the joy that you have in making it can be infectious yeah you know? i mean you know the fact that you know th- that you and i both worked on things that people come up to us years later yeah. and go that's part of my that whatever that thing is that came out of your head it's also part of my imagination yeah. my shared memories and um you know that's a gift to have the opportunity to do that yeah i wanted to ask you also you know that i get a lot of people who listen to the pod who want to be in the business, you know, technical, want to do what you do and that kind of stuff. I want to talk about directing for TV versus film. Your career has been interesting because a lot of the TV stuff you did was almost like doing films, <laughs> like Band of Brothers. You know, you did, did yeah. some of those from the earth to the moon. That's some of my favorite stuff right. in those years. But it was like making little mini films, though, was it? Or did, or did it feel like TV? Sure. I mean, you know, look, you're collaborating with Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That feels like a film director versus what TV directing is really like, where I feel like a lot of TV directors sometimes can be in a box where they don't have the freedom that maybe a film director might have. Do you, is that experience seem accurate or not accurate? Really, you know, it comes down to the the, the money, which money buys you time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, time buys you the opportunity just to go a little deeper Mm -hmm. in every aspect of the work. And also the money buys you stars, mm-hmm. you know, buys two great actors. You know, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, work with some incredible casts over the years and we want to watch, you know, great actors playing great parts. I mean, that's, you know, that's the difference. And I think I am, you know, look, I'm starting shooting a network TV pilot tomorrow and the schedule isn't that much tighter than say shooting Jerry March, you know, Jerry March is with whatever hundred minute movie shot in 30 days we're going to shoot a 44 minute pilot in 13 days it's a very ambitious pilot yeah. stars jesse l martin it's called the irrational yeah we're starting up here tomorrow and um it, it, the tone is different mm. you know that's the thing you know doing pilots are always like making a small movie and half a movie you know that's doing pilots and that's you know i love that i love you know taking something from nothing and and creating something that might have a, a life you know the Subsequent episodes, you are kind of in a box. You know, the major characters have been cast, the rhythms, the look, the style, everything mm-hmm. has been set, and it's harder. I, I did get to work on, uh, I did episodes of The Morning Show, and that was, again, a more cinematic, mm-hmm. movie-like experience. You yeah. know, working with big movie stars, mm-hmm. um, a healthier budget, more time. Mm-hmm. You know, because you have more time, you can be more ambitious about the the, the style that goes into the, filmmaking so i think except for the the marvel movies and the you know the pixar movies and the the, the movies that we're gonna that are going to continue to go to the big screen um there's so much extraordinary work being done for television yeah there really and, is you know, so it's a new hybrid form yeah where it is. i don't think you can, it's you know i don't think it's tv it's obviously not a movie in the conventional sense but there's a joke i just saw in the trailer for irma Vep that's on hbo and the director's pitching the show and it's like says uh, you know someone calls it a, a series because it's not a series it's just a, a very long movie <laughs> and that's kind of what's happening yeah now. you know there's just a lot uh, and i and i think it's great you know i mean some for some of them sometimes it gets padded out you know wow this could have been two hours you know mm-hmm. but sometimes that taking the time are there's these real wonderful qualities i mean the you know a show like the crown going over uh, years and years amazing. is absolutely brilliant but then there are shows that are about you know topics that are familiar like uh, the dropout that you know you you get to see performances mm-hmm. and storytelling that wasn't a, wouldn't have been available if you had to fit it into two hours yeah i like this new i'm a huge fan of it's not a new form but i think it has a new life it's the limited series um like queen's gambit to me 
it's almost like a long film, you know, because it's yeah. not, as you say, it's not really a series, you know, but you need to tell it. It needs time for that story to be told. And when it's done, it's done. It's not like it's open-ended, like there's a second season or something. It's a story, right. you know. Although I'm sure they talked about it. You know? Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Right, where can we go? They didn't yeah. expect it to be that yeah. big. Maybe she plays backgammon <laughs> also. Backgammon, exactly. So. Uh, the Queen's Crown, it's, it's checkers now. Yeah. But I love that form. I think... You know, some people have lamented the loss of, you know, how uh, versatile the, the theatrical movie is now. And it is it isn't as versatile as it used to be. It is more of the big movies, you know, and, and COVID plays a big part in that. But I think streaming has allowed movies like Jerry and Marge to be a movie where without streaming, I don't know if that could be a movie today. Right. Now, we went for, you know, a period, you know, five years or so where movies like Jerry March just were not getting made. Yeah. I mean, it was almost impossible. You know, unless it was somebody felt like, oh, I'm going to win an Oscar. Right, is, right, right. There'd be a campaign behind it type of thing. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's something that's meant to just be entertaining and, and you know, and sweet and make you feel good. I mean, that, the cost of marketing is so extraordinary. Yeah. And as you know, and yeah, the pandemic is that seems to have affected the audience, although Top Gun is yeah. upending everybody's expectations. So, yeah, it might be that you know, wow, people are just dying to get back to the back to the theater. So it's kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the the volatility in the world in which we play yeah. is, is um, fascinating. Do you think people will will return to the theaters? I mean, there people have uh, been predicting the demise of movies for years and years. years. Television was supposed to kill it. You know, internet was supposed to kill. All these things were supposed to kill. COVID almost did it, you know. Yeah. So who, I mean, to see the Cinerama Dome here in Los Angeles, which, you know, guys, Cinerama Dome is like a magical place as far as I'm concerned, you know. And to see that close is just ridiculous. So, yeah, I think, I think people are going to go back. uh I mean, I think think they just won't go back as, they they won't go as often. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to go for more event style movies. Mm -hmm. And, um, the things that feel like, oh, I have to see it in the theater. I mean, I went to the movies as often as I could. Yeah, I mean, me my too. kids, it's like, you know, they're 20 and the, they go a handful of times a year. And it's, there's no, they don't really make the distinction between watching something in a theater and watching something at home. I know. I know. It always exists. Yeah. There's always a lot of humanity in the projects that you do. You know, even when I mentioned those films, even though you're part of Earth to the Moon, Banner Brothers, that kind of stuff, but you know, you're still in that, but to see even the work that you've done, that you choose to do, like Marley and me, are you consciously looking for that type of thing? Because it comes through in all of your work. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm consciously looking for you know, for movies that I can, that, that I, where I really personally relate to the characters. So, mm-hmm. um, and you'd say, well, where are you in Devil Wears Prada? Well, I was, you know, a young person graduating college, mm-hmm. moving to New York for my first job. And and, yeah. and you know that has a universal quality. And Marley Me was ex- you know was John Grogan's life, but it was extremely autobiographical. I mean, I wrote yeah. you know I worked on the script. I would do a lot of my thinking you know outside in the backyard, hosing down dog poop. <laughs> I was a guy with you know a beautiful wife and uh, and two little yeah. kids and and six or seven dogs at home. So um, wow, you know that was my life also so i've made a movie about bird watching made a movie about opera singers but you know so it's not always there's not always a direct connection but there's a a sense of the character that i really connect to and um you know it's a very often it's um this idea about what makes an extraordinary life and how mm-hmm. do i how do i get how, mm. who are the people who get from here to there and yeah. what does it take and what Journey. do you give up you know, years ago, I had an idea for uh, a magazine. It was going to be called Obit Magazine. It was about, obviously, people who died. But then I pitched it to my dad, and he gave it to the uh, editor of the New York Times Magazine at the time. And they said, well, it's not like, going to be a whole magazine, but we'll do an issue. And so now, every year for the last, whatever, 25 years, they've done Lives Well Lived. And, and it's an appreciation of, you know, not just people who are accomplished, and some, a lot of them are famous, of course, but it's, there's so many people that we don't know about mm. or who are, uh, and mm-hmm. that, I don't know, that's always, I've always been drawn to like, what is it? Not that it makes us remembered, but just where's the balance between work and life mm-hmm. and family and, 
and uh, a commitment to things outside your own sphere um, and uh, what's important. That's not very little of that actually ends up in the movies, but that's the that's the question that I'm always asking myself. And I think those that's the question the characters are are mm-hmm. striving to discover. And you know that's the thing about Jerry March. It's you know mm-hmm. I worked all these years at Kellogg's and now I'm retired. And you know Jerry is he literally asks himself, I feel like I missed it. He says, I, you know that's the most terrifying feeling I think that all of us can have as we get older. Is wait, did mm-hmm. I blow it? You know because you go for a long time and you think you always have time. You know and then. Somewhere along the way, you know, your friends start kicking it and uh, you go, whoa, I, you know, I don't have as much time as I thought. And if you're wise, lucky, you reorient yourself a little bit and you do find something new and maybe you get, a, as Jerry Marge do, you get a new adventure. Do you think people, because of the pandemic and, you know, the stuff we're going through now, we got a war and all that stuff. Do you think people are reexamining what it is to the phrase a life well lived? We're kind of going through that as a culture. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. I think you see that in, um, you know, the number of people who quit their jobs in the pandemic, right? Yeah, yeah it's fascinating. Right? Yeah. So you see that. So there's that. All these people go, you know, take this job and shove it literally. And, you know, I'm mm-hmm. going to find something that's more fulfilling or I'm not going to work at all. There's all these people who just, I'm not going to the office. I'll work, but I'm not going to the office. Right, right, I, right. My, my life is better and more fulfilling. And I spend more, you know, why do I, am I spending whatever, an hour on the train or an hour in my car each way when I could be here, you know, with my family or with my dog or, you know, or I, or, or literally don't even have to be in the city. You know, I could be skiing this afternoon or surfing. Um, so yeah, I think people are saying we've been, we've been doing it all wrong for a long time. Yeah. And, and the pandemic was an excuse to sort things out. I, you know, look, I think it's all going to, there's an equilibrium and we'll get back to some semblance that's probably closer to the way things were before. Uh, sure. But um, it's all good. You know, I think all that, all the examination, I mean, for years we've heard that, uh, boy, the Europeans got it right. You know, that whatever the French, they work four days a week. They have, they take, you know, <laughs> 10 weeks right. of vacation. It's all paid, sure. they have, you know, all this leave. They, you know, they, they get there, they retire early. And and we're thinking like ah they're just lazy. And you, what? No, yes. no, that's not it. But they realize like yeah. there's something more. There are more important things than making money or you know building a career. And uh, the flip side is I have great respect for the people who you know really go mm-hmm. the extra mile uh, in their commitment to changing the world or just yeah. doing something excellent. You know, that was my great appreciation uh-huh. for Anna Winter. That movie of Devil Wars Prada is a love story to Anna Winter. Sure. No one quite appreciates that, but it's a salute to someone who says, mm-hmm. no, you know, excellence is is the right. only thing I care about. And uh, everything else, you know, being socially pleasant right. is irrelevant to me. You know, my early hero in sports mm-hmm. was John McEnroe. I just cared that he was great. I didn't care that, you know, he behaved like yeah. a jerk sometimes. You know, we even, like, you see that today. I mean, you see that, I mean, somehow we all still love yeah. Tiger Woods, you know, and the guy's got the most checkered personal history in, in the history of sports. But um, fortunately, he's come out the other side and seems mm-hmm. like a great guy now. But our affection for him is completely undiminished by everything because of his excellence. And uh, I, you know, and so I, I appreciated that also. But, you know, Tiger does seem to be someone who, like the rest of us now, has, through all his travails and traumas, um, has realized a better way to live his life. And I think we do tend to forgive people who are raising the bar, even if they fall short, you know, who are going after something worthwhile, even if they have flaws and that type of thing. We're less forgiving. We were talking about this whole golf thing that's happening in the world. You know, people who seem to take shortcuts, even if it looks like they're winning with that shortcut, there's a small runway of appreciation for that. That runway runs out really quick, I feel. I think that's very perceptive. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of uh, Elon Musk. I think he's, you know, I think yeah, what he does is remarkable. I, I hate his politics. I hate He's a bit his... crazy. Yeah, he's definitely, he's crazy. Yeah. And so I'm like, crazy genius. Divided. Yeah. Like, my wife yeah. is laying down the law. No Teslas for you, buddy. Yes, so, exactly. Yes, yes. 
<laughs> yes. And I'm kind of crestfallen. But I'm like, keep keep doing SpaceX, yeah. Elon. Just focus on SpaceX yeah. is what I think of what I think of Elon. Like, stay away from Twitter. Stay far away from Twitter. Just keep making rockets. Right. Is is how I look at rockets it. and tunnels. I, I I appreciate the tunnels too. <laughs> yes, the tunnel. Yes. Well, that's great, uh, David. It's so great uh, speaking to you. Uh, Last thing, any any pivots for you at this point in your life? Do you see you want to keep doing this, or do you have any pivots in mind, or something else you also want to do, or or figure out, or that type of thing? I mean, I I think I'm just you know, lucky to do what I do, and and um, I'm always mm-hmm. looking to see like there's some way to reinvent the wheel a little bit. And yeah. I you know years yeah. ago I I created a couple of TV shows that seemed to be new you know to have a take a new approach to storytelling and i'm always looking to do that that's all you know and i i don't know if i still have it in me but i keep trying so still in the world of you know making television or making films but maybe finding some uh, a form the style of a show created years ago called grapevine was you know people talking to camera was sort of a documentary Mm -hmm. style but um Mm -hmm. up a notch and uh completely failed as a as a tv show but it got a lot of attention and um it helped launch my directing career and you know after there was a flood of you know single camera shows after that and and Mm -hmm. people talking to camera and and uh, making the fourth wall and all that so um and then you know i i mentioned i won an oscar for the short film that i made with maurice in the 90s and again you know it just had a different format it was never going to survive on television at the time right um and now, of course, there's this great open playing field in television. And there's now so much stuff out there that it's really hard to say, okay, this is this is inventive. This is new. This I haven't seen before. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, I'm going to keep trying. You know, that's, that's it. And, you know, the pivot will be, um, you know, when I, I, one day I hope to just be a caddy for my son on the DJ tour. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I've always have thought that way too with the projects that I've done. Even when I did Bernie Mac show, like most of the stuff was multicam, right. you know, and I kind of took my cue from what I was observing in reality at the time, which was just starting to take exactly. off. Exactly. Yeah. When it, I was even looking at going back to French new wave and what, you know, some of them were doing back then and bringing that back to television, that, that feel that, uh, you know, like in breathless, you know, you feel like you're experiencing it as it's happening type of feel, you know, those type of, of movies and that type of thing. And I've, I've always looked to break the form when I'm writing, you know, if I can't, if there's something in there or just do the story in a way that's unexpected, that's changing up the rhythm or, you know, keeping the audience off balance in a good way, you know. What's interesting, obviously, in Hollywood now is, um, is there's a sort of cultural uh, boundaries. So only certain people can write about certain things and or plays I know. parts, right? So suddenly I find myself going, all right, well, now I got to write for 60-year-old white guys. <laughs> yes, finally! Finally, there's somebody there to do there that. There you go. Thank you, David. But that's all, you know, I feel like at some point that's all I'm allowed to do. You know, there's, uh, I come in and break some boundaries and you go, uh, 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 you know, who's your collaborator? Who else is in on this? So it's a, it's a fascinating time. You sneak it in through collaboration. That's how you do no, that, it. No, I think that's exactly in. right. So, you know, um, and, um, but, it, you know, look, the change is essential and, uh, and long overdue. And, uh, and I, you know, I'm thrilled that it's happening and it is happening. I don't know if you perceive it, but I, I really do feel like, oh, for sure. I feel like the playing field is changing for, and um, in all the best ways. I think it's exciting because whenever you have a flood of new voices and new approaches to thing, it, it ultimately changes things in an exciting way. If you have a creative mind and you're looking to push boundaries and that sort of thing, and you love that challenge. Um, it's tougher if you're, just doing a particular thing that you want to keep doing the same way all the time, right. you know, <laughs> that's a little tougher because times just change, sure. you know? Uh, and what are you going to do? I mean, there's, we all have, there's a certain expiration date for everybody, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I always said, I'd like to do a lot of different things so I could be a moving target in terms of the business. You know, So it's like, Larry, we don't really need writers your age anymore. Sorry, I'm an actor right now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, like, thank God you're an actor. You were a great actor. And 
Um, oh, thank and you. as I said to you many times on the set, I, you should be acting more. I've taken your advice on that, by the way, and I intend to do that. I really listen. I took that to heart when you said that. And I'm actually one of my you could call it a pivot is I'm going to be doing just doing more of that now. You, you know? know, I mean, it takes a certain confidence, but it's also just an understanding that, they, that there's an audience and people really enjoy watching you and, and you really make people laugh. Yay. And laugh guys at Jerry and Marge go large paramount plus directed by the great David Franco brings humanity and laughs and everything to everything that he does. David, it was so great not only working with you, but having you here on Black in the Air. Thanks so much, my friend, for coming by. It was my enormous pleasure, Larry. Thank you so much. And we got to get together, have a drink, and talk about Phil Mickelson one of these days. Definitely. I'll be in L.A. (laughs) in in a month or so, and and we'll play some golf and talk about Phil. And you're in Miami, right? I'm, cur- I'm I live in Miami and I'm currently in Vancouver. Oh, you're we're Vancouver. shooting this pilot. Oh, you're shooting the pilot. That's right. You're starting that. All right. Let me know when you're done with the pilot. Let's do that for sure. Absolutely. Great. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. All right. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.